0: This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company.
1: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay
0: informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Seward, I got Jensen Adam Levine, and Will Foxley with me today. We are here to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto. Let's do this thing. I'm leading us off. Let's talk about WorldCoin. We love talking about WorldCoin. It's really surgeons the headlines in recent weeks, largely around the hype and interest relating to artificial intelligence, AI. Now, word of this raise had been leaked a little bit, according to sources. This is going to be in the works, and sure enough, Uh, Today, they announced that they've raised $115 million in a funding round led by Blockchain Capital and involving A16Z, Bain, Capital Crypto, and others. Let's talk about WorldCoin. I think this is less a bet on the value of another coin and more a bet on the importance of systems that may counteract the rise of AI. And that's very much a big part of what is being announced here by Blockchain Capital in a post written by Spencer Bogart. He talks about this proof of personhood concept as being the real secret sauce behind this project as the AI rises up. I'm going to toss this one straight to Jen for her initial thoughts. Uh, WorldCoin certainly been in the news quite a bit of late. What do you make of uh, its most recent backup?
1: $115 million. This is crazy. I feel like we haven't spoken about a raise this big in at least a year. Maybe we have. All the days just kind of blend together for me. But Zach, you're right. I think about two weeks ago we spoke about this new product that they launched that offered up a solution for authenticating humans in the age of AI through this like biometric retina scanning orb. And I think it's really interesting how they've been able to pull their narrative together, right? So now they're offering a solution to uh, an issue that we've been discussing as AI accelerates faster and faster. And they also have this crypto wallet that's part of their product that's supposed to be this really stripped down, much simpler way to hold your coins and store your assets. And so I think that they've developed a really interesting narrative, especially given what's going on in the news right now with wallets and AI. And they have some big backers here, right? They have A16Z. I think I saw Bain Capital there. And so I think that they probably were able to craft a really compelling story, uh, get that in front of VCs and raise this money. I think it's a strong and good bet for VCs who are waiting out the bear market. But Zach, I saw your hand go back up.
0: Yeah, I just want to do one last kind of note on the narrative before we maybe riff on this pivot to AI that people in the world of crypto are very fascinated by. But I think like, as it relates to the story being told here by Blockchain Capital, which is the lead investor, credit to them for really leaning into it, right? In the announcement, Spencer Bogart is very much like, I thought this was an Orwellian nightmare. And then we did our research and our opinion has changed such that we're willing to invest major dollars in this project going forward. So to funders and projects out there, I think that's a fantastic way to communicate a message. Lean into the controversy, lean into the stuff that's already out there in the ether being discussed about this project. Don't try to sweep it under the rug, but tell me that you know of some of that drama and tell me why you're not daunted by it. And I think that was a really effective sort of technique here in announcing this funding round. So... That's just the last thing on the narrative, but I definitely want to toss it to Will for his thoughts.
2: Yeah, I mean, nice to them to pivot, but at the same time, basically, there's a token you can always get out of your investment. So I don't think it's too risky for them here in the long haul. I think maybe the question here is like branding, imaging, and marketing in the future. A lot of people do not like WorldCoin, and for very specific reasons, I think it is Orwellian, like you said there, Zach. People think like Bitcoin and WorldCoin are sort of like two very distinctly different projects one very libertarian ethos, the other more authoritarian, or at least like kind of like getting that way, right? Like maybe uh, the people at WorldCoin wouldn't say it's authoritarian, but there's definitely something there with the fact that they're scanning everyone's eyes or like keeping this data uh, on different repositories. They are anonymizing it, but a lot of people have concerns about this, and I think for good reason. So we do have like a little bit of a clash there. Now to the AI stuff, I I do think that like, we need to set a little context here because it's a great part of this conversation. A lot of people do think that crypto can be something that does solve AI. So not just like a WorldCoin solution, but think about like the public-private key pairing, right? So we do see some people be like, hey, why don't I log into a website with my crypto tokens as opposed to logging in with Google or logging in with my Facebook account, right? So a lot of times, these Web2 apps, they use Facebook or they use Google to make sure that you're a real person interacting with their real product. But people don't always like that and they don't like their information being linked. So there's this new project called Sign It With Ethereum. It's been around for a few years now. And it's sign in with my public-private key pairing, keep my information, and the website understands that I am a real person that owns this wallet. Now, WorldCoin kind of goes a step further, right? It's like, I'm going to scan your face, I'm going to get your data, I'm going to keep it, and then there's going to be some sort of token associated with it. It's just a little bit different. But that being said, like the, the general idea of crypto and AI solving the problems that they both bring to the table are there and are present, and this is just an extension of that. Adam, I'll throw it over to you.
3: Yeah, I'm not convinced there's too much there, honestly, between sort of blockchains and the world of AI. The world of AI is moving in kind of a different pace. And although it is possible, certainly, and there are some problems that could be solved, I think that these are uh, both disruptive technologies on their own trajectories uh, and will remain so for quite some time, even if there are many projects. And I have talked to a number of people who are like, hey, we need a Bitcoin LLM. I've had that conversation like three times in the last two weeks. So there's definitely something there it's specifically about WorldCoin. So WorldCoin is trying to solve a really hard problem. That's really important that they're probably not going to be able to solve. And it's audacious. When you look at these raises, it's sometimes instructive to look at who are the people not on the funding side, but whose project is it? And when you look at somebody like Sam Altman, that's a dude who prints money, right? Like it's uh, again, like much of kind of the venture capital conversation is less about projects and more about the kind of comfort that you have with a particular person who you are investing in. And Sam Altman has clearly proven himself as somebody who's able to raise large amounts of capital and deliver on projects, although not everything that he does is a a success. It's worth kind of just talking about kind of the other side of the story, which is that that hard problem that they're trying to solve, which is how do you get around the global civil problem, right? If you're going to do something like universal basic income, how do you pull that off in a way where it isn't just going to be totally abused by, you know, billions of people around the world? Uh, And more importantly, so that, you know, people who sort of systematically cheat, like organizations and stuff like that, can't like acquire information that would allow them to benefit where they shouldn't. And that's kind of where I think this starts to break down is that to the extent that you, you know, incentivize eyeball scans. Well, all you're really doing is saying, hey, if you want to steal my identity, you need to steal my eyeball or at least something that can look like my eyeball. And I don't think those are good incentives to set up. We've already seen this start to play out. Not exactly like not in a gruesome way or anything like that. But we've already seen the system start to break down in China, where a black market has already emerged and people are paying as little as $20 um, for for iris scans that have already been registered within the system. So I think that, again, like it's a hard problem. I don't really expect these people to solve it because I don't really know if it can be solved. And I think the problems that we have are kind of uh, deeper than than it goes. But we'll see what happens. Zach.
0: I just want to echo that I think Sam Altman is the new main character in the world of tech. And this is very much a bet on Sam Altman, right? It's, yeah. it's addressed in the post. Sam and Alex are the co-founders. Blockchain Capital thinks Alex might become a household name soon, but it is very sure that Sam Altman is sort of the main character in the world of tech and now also potentially in the world of crypto, which is kind of fascinating to watch unfold. Jen, what's the last word on this one?
1: Yeah. You know, we say so much when we talk about this project, like scanning your eyeballs is scary and who would want to do this? And as I was reading the story, I thought like as soon as convenience is introduced and there is a reason for people to scan their eyeballs, they're going to do it. You look at Clear at the airport, that's a private company. As soon as you see that long line, I've witnessed people without thinking twice, sign up for the app, scan their biometrics and pass the line. And so I I just have to say, we say that all the time, but as soon as convenience is introduced, people are going to be scanning their eyeballs.
0: We love the
2: orb. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) we should get one on the show just for fun. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go over to a different subject. Let's talk about FTX. Was Shaquille O'Neal served the other day at a NBA conference finals game? Let's take a look at this video from the game itself.
1: You're my favorite player. I just want to say congratulations, my brother. And thanks for getting me in trouble. Don't say nothing. (laughs) Yeah, be
2: quiet. That's a video from the Western Conference Finals between the Celtics and the Miami Heat. Uh, This video is just serving up some speculation about Shaq and FTX and also another project called Astrals, an NFT project that Shaquille O'Neal was involved with. According to Wall Street Journal, Shaquille O'Neal was successfully served FTX paperwork at this game. And it's speculated that Seth Curry, who was also involved in this whole debacle of FTX and promoting it, uh, was also in a conversation here live on TV with Shaq. Zach, this was a great story. This, was, this is the sports corner we've been waiting for. For months and it
0: came back up (laughs) iconic absolutely iconic talk about the value of a good brand ambassador when steph curry is passing the rock to shaquille o'neal to get him involved in what ended up being one of the greatest scams allegedly in crypto history absolutely amazing and we get to watch it roll out in real time i don't know i'm a little bit suspect about this lawyer team that's been trying to serve Shaq. they sort of claimed mission accomplished and then later it became revealed that they just threw the papers at his car as he was driving away and he disputed <laughs> that as being properly served his due process. So I'm going to need some photographic evidence. Maybe it's out there on Twitter uh, of, you know, this process server who, according to the story, bought a ticket to the game, walked up to where Shaq was doing his TV show, and gave him his papers. I want to see some proof of that because the lawyer who's been uh, telling this story in the past, I think has been a bit, let's see, liberal in his interpretation of, uh, of what qualifies as getting served. So I am withholding judgment there. But this, to me, just is an utterly fascinating story about the upper echelons of crypto and celebrity and the legal process when it all goes south. So anyway, just a really funny moment. Will, I'm glad you highlighted it.
2: Yeah, this is like a Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, like storyline here. And Zach, to your point, I was reading a pro football talk earlier today about this whole episode, and apparently a fan at the game was able to uh, know that Shaq was there at the game previous and that he'd be at the next game was able to snipe a photo of Shaq with the ftx paperwork in front of him the image was not linked on the story but apparently the l- lawyer team does have that image proving that he was indeed served at like the former it. ftx like arena oh, Jack- oh
0: it's just so there's so Jack- much going it's so on bad. it's just so amazing the arena that was emblazoned with ftx and had its name on it even after the shameful collapse of this crypto empire. Oh, just you couldn't write you couldn't write a better storyline. The fact out. that it went down right there. Amazing. It's so good.
1: We have to say so that person who served the papers, who bought the ticket to the game, who served Shaq the papers, he later got kicked out at Shaq's request after he was served the papers. And they're just like every paragraph of this story is just another layer of laughter for me. But the one serious thing I think that we can take away from this story before I pass it off to Adam is the role that celebrities are going to play in crypto moving forward, right? Because Shaq's main defense here is, I was just paid to be a part of the advertisement. I didn't have anything else to do with it. And I think when it comes to regulated things, there are certain rules and guidelines you have to follow. And we're not sure if, if Shaq did, and we'll have to see what this class action lawsuit brings to light. But Adam, what do you think?
3: I think that it's not really fair to characterize this uh, uh, as a situation that's similar to what we've seen with, you know, past examples like the the infamous Kim Kardashian, you know, one with uh, Ethereum Max, right? Like the whole point about those is that those were not obviously advertisements; they were effectively undisclosed, and the assets themselves are viewed by the regulator as a form of a security. And so, because of that, it's pretty distinctly different than, again. Paying a celebrity to be on an advertisement talking about a company that is actually a legitimate, at least on its surface, company. You know, so I think that again, like the collapse of FTX and the collapse of a lot of these things creates these sort of uh, giant waves that create opportunity for people who are either legitimately disenfranchised by whatever happened, as in the case of folks who work who you know used FTX and now have funds trapped inside, and also lawyers, uh, you know, and people who see hey, I can drag somebody into this and I can make it so that their best move is just to pay me to go away so I stop associating with them with this terrible thing that everybody's talking about. I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but I am saying that there are some distinct points of difference between this and other examples we've seen in the token world specifically that make me really want to wait on this one just to kind of see how it plays out and see if there really is some merit to this case. Will? Yeah, no, I think you're right on this one.
2: I think like Shaq and the other people who are involved with FTX, I mean, there's a lot of people who are involved with FTX and I think they're like, legitimate parties that didn't know and how would you know right like you have to do a lot of due diligence and but that was the whole story with taylor swift a few months ago right where her lawyers and her advertising team were like hey you should probably pass on this and i guess taylor swift had the nose to sniff it out beforehand but no one else did and so she gets all the praise she deserves but shaq and tom brady and steph curry are going to get all the criticisms they maybe don't quite deserve, it's really hard to know. And no one really knew until again, CoinDesk actually broke that story and we found out all the misdeeds and improper actions that FTX was undertaking. Uh, and now we have Sam bankman Freed living in his parents' basement in California awaiting trial in October. So I, I don't think we can put Shaq on trial, but I do think that we can put this whole survey case on trial and say it's an A-plus in terms of drama and comedy. 'Cause it has been awesome. I hope there's more details that come out in the near future.
0: Here, here, good stuff. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit cyphertrace.com today for more information
1: crypto consortium. Fahrenheit has won the bid to acquire insolvent lender Celsius Network. The group will acquire Celsius's institutional loan portfolio, staked crypto mining unit, and additional alternative investments and must pay a deposit of $10 million within three days to firm up the deal. Will, I'm going to toss this one off to you. I really like the headline, Fahrenheit acquired Celsius. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't an original thought. That was tweeted by Sandali hanagama who is a CoinDesk reporter, but here I am broadcasting it for her.
0: Now, another, another another huge L for Canada, just Fahrenheit trouncing <laughs> <laughs> Celsius. <laughs> out <I> know, right? <laughs> Get out of here with your metric system and your Celsius stuff. Fahrenheit. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well.
1: Fahrenheit wins
2: again. <laughs> Yes, this, uh, this actually kind of took me a little bit by surprise. I didn't know about Fahrenheit until a few weeks ago. There was some sort of like Fahrenheit gathering at Consensus, or maybe it was at Bitcoin Miami talking about like putting this together. There's a lot of different bids to purchase the assets of Celsius as there has been a lot of bids to purchase like the assets of Voyager. Uh, there's probably going to be some bids to purchase assets of FTX, things like that nature, right? Like they're basically selling off the chunks of pieces of these businesses which were legitimate and do have value, namely like the assets themselves or in this case, the mining operations of Celsius. And those are going to go to other people, they're buying them for less than they're actually worth, and they're able to form a company out of it or sell them again. And Celsius or the trustees for Celsius are basically trying to get the most money from the creditors and bidders that are out there. Of course, there have been more in the past for Celsius and for Voyager, which is a separate chapter 11 bankruptcy proceeding. But oftentimes, these things fall apart. In the Voyager case, we've seen the SEC come in. In the Celsius case, I think it's just taken a little bit longer than they thought. Like they had buyers and then they disappeared. Now we have a successful one, which is great news for anyone who's been in this Chapter 11 because hopefully you get some money out of it. You might get some pennies on the dollar, but at least you get something. For Fahrenheit, this actually sets them up for a lot of success. So there's a few different companies involved with this. The biggest one that spoke to me was US Bitcoin. They're a new private Bitcoin miner out there that's likely going to merge with a public Canadian company called Hut8. And make sort of like this super Bitcoin miner that's going to be like publicly listed. And now that they've purchased these assets, they also get Celsius's mining operations, which was also quite, quite large. And a lot of people did not know about it. And so I think US Bitcoin is like just through assets and mergers and acquisitions going to become one of like the larger names, like a marathon or a riot out there, if they can kind of get all these things together. All the other assets, I'm not sure what they're going to do. They might just liquidate them. They might just give it to other people. They might boot something up again. Who knows? Zach, to you.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, there's something like $500 million worth of liquid crypto involved here. But would you say that, like, the crown jewel of this is potentially the mining operation? Because I was very curious about that $2 billion valuation and sort of the discrepancy between the liquid assets and other things that were part of the portfolio. Based on your understanding, is this really a play for uh, a new mining player to enter the space?
2: Yes and no. I guess I'd have to know what the asset breakdown is for the Celsius stuff on hand because we saw with the FTX case, right? Where the FTX trustees were like, we have a bunch of FTT tokens. They're worth billions of dollars. And it's like, no, they're, they're really not worth billions of dollars. I'm glad you said that though. That's, that's a fun, cute line. In this case, I haven't seen like, the allocation. So if it's a lot of Bitcoin or other things, it could be worth a lot. But the Bitcoin mining part of Celsius was actually a huge operation. They had well over 100,000 machines, I think at one point. Uh, they're actively trying to relocate some of these machines because they were located at different hosting facilities. And now they're trying to like, find places to stash them and start mining again. And they mi- made money on this. So Celsius is the biggest thing, right? Zach was, give us Bitcoin and we will give you a yield on top of that. How Celsius was able to do that in a lot of ways is because they were mining Bitcoin for much lower costs to purchase a Bitcoin. So they are just giving out those mining rewards. And so now they have, like this big operation. US Bitcoin is already a big miner. They have a lot of energy. They're just going to fill it up. And I, I think you are seeing a formation of a new big Bitcoin miner right in front of us just through mergers and acquisitions, which is a little bit different than the past. Adam, we will throw it over to you.
3: Yeah, I actually think we have to move on to our next story. But uh, I'm happy to see kind of the, the bankruptcy process ending for a lot of these things. And I'm happy to see that it's happening a lot faster than Mount Gox did in Japan, which happened back in 2013 and is still kind of working its way through the system now, although as we are constantly threatened, it seems like it's getting close. So happier that this is taking a lot less time. But for our final story of the day, crypto collateralized loans have been a thing for a number of years now, with even NFTs getting into the mix during the last bull market. Generally speaking, that didn't end well. NFTs aren't particularly liquid and that can cause problems when markets as a whole swoon, forcing painful liquidations and uh, quite bad prices. Uh, when that sort of thing goes down. But international exchange giant Binance apparently is convinced that there is something here with a new NFT loan feature launching tomorrow that hopefully won't come to be seen in hindsight as a hold my beer moment. The company is offering loans in exchange for Yuga Lab type properties, uh, including the Board Apes, as well as Azuki and the Doodles collection. That makes sense to the extent that any of this does to me. And the company says that they're offering this feature to allow collectors to allow them to, quote, participate in the market without having to let go of their precious nfts end quote at least that is the hope zach am i too negative about this i feel like i just like i i have nothing positive to say about this except that y'all gonna lose a bunch of money at some point in the future and you're gonna be really really unhappy about this choice
0: my precious precious uh i think you are being slightly negative sir right people want liquidity from their various crypto assets right they want to be able to, to uh Use the thing without necessarily being able to part with the thing. And to my mind, that's really like the major innovation of DeFi, right? You can use your crypto without having to sell it. So the idea that this would be extended to the world of NFTs, I think is certainly something that makes sense. I think it's interesting that we're seeing Binance do this, right? Typically, these features, this NFT-Fi, right? The intersection of DeFi and NFT has existed on chain, right? Through various uh, protocols that that are typically on the Ethereum blockchain. So the fact that Binance is a centralized uh, finance player, a major one at that, is rolling out this feature, I think is is quite notable, quite interesting. would be curious to see if there's a lot of uptake here as it relates to usage, right? A lot of these NFT collections are pretty much down bad in value. So I'm wondering if if this is something that uh, is specifically a bear market product, as people look to get whatever they can from these assets when put up as loan collateral, uh, rather than trying to liquidate them on the open market. So maybe this is a nice bear market play. And I think there could be some upside here, um, but it's certainly not without risk, for sure. Jen, I'll toss it to you.
1: I have some numbers for you that might answer some of your questions. So DappRadar recently released a report on Blend, which is an NFT lending platform released by Blur, which is an NFT FI marketplace. And they accumulated 169,000 ETH or $308 million in trading volume in the first 22 days and compared that with trading volume across all NFT lending platforms, which is 375 million. So possibly Binance is just looking at the trends, looking at what else, what's going on in the market, where the money is going right now, and making a play, making a bet for the, for the next bull cycle. So I'd be curious to see more of those numbers, but that's recent data out of DAP Radar, Zach?
0: Yeah, I love that you brought up Blur. I think just stepping back a few steps, like Blur and the, sort of the professionalization of the NFT trading world, I think is something that very much animates decisions such as these, right? Like OpenSea was the retail conversation, it was the top dog. And then all of a sudden, Blur came out and sort of catered to a more professional style NFT trader. And all of a sudden, they're the top dog, right? So I think that may be animating some of these other decisions to roll out more sophisticated products relating to NFTs as an asset class. And I think Binance may be trying to ride that wave a little bit as introduced uh, by Blur's emergence uh, on the market. And it's uh, like it it, it taking over the top spot from OpenSea in a relatively short order. So maybe that's sort of the subcontext of what's going on. Again, speculation on my part, but I'm glad you brought up Blur, Jen. Uh, I'll toss it down to Will for his thoughts. Yeah, I want
2: to go back to what Adam was saying, that the speculation on this or how you feel about it. Because when I first read this, I was like, oh, great. Like, Do we really need something like this? But then I was thinking about it. I was like, "You know, Binance isn't going to launch something where they're not going to make money and where there's not going to be a stability. And they will wind it down if they don't think it's going to last. Like They've done that many, many times. They've created as many markets as they have uh, wound them down. So I think that's one part of it. And then also with the lobbyist things, it's under collateralized. So they're, they're not going to let you take out more than the value of the NFT. And that value is going to be like 30% or 50%. It's similar to the Coinbase offering from like two years ago, where they allowed you to take a 30% loan based on the Bitcoin that you had at Coinbase. And so it's mark to market, as you say, is relatively lower than like the asset value. So it's, it's going to be different when they roll this out. And I think it will probably. Be okay. Though, for what it's worth, I have been waiting for a lot of these NFTs to go to zero,
3: and then you'd be in a different situation, right? So, who knows? So, final thoughts from me. So, uh, again, as far as Binance is concerned, this is a no-lose situation. There's no situation in which they they lose here. Again, they either win because they make fees off the thing. They may, they again they win because they provide more liquidity, which then allows people to purchase more, you know, and do more trading on their platform, which is what they want to incentivize, anyways. The challenge comes when. Again, like how many people over the course of the bull market or over the course of the last number of years have, you know, taken out large loans against very much more liquid crypto than this and then found that when times get tough, they get tough all around. And those times all around then make it so that they wind up getting liquidated in ways that are very painful. I know a ton of people who this has happened to. That is so much more true in the world of, uh, you know, in the world of NFTs than it is here, but this is a story for another day, Zach.